Well, as the kids are headed out uh, with our leaders, again, we want to welcome you. Thanks for being here. If you're new here, we'd love a chance to get to know you a little bit more uh, after service. Um, come say hello. I'll be hanging out in the lobby uh, as well. And uh, let me say a word of prayer for us as we begin our time in the Word. Would you bow with me? Father, we want to recognize that you are Jaira, which just simply means provider. In the same way that you clothe the lilies, you take care of us. You are our ultimate provider and sustainer. I think about what the book of Hebrews says, that you hold together all things through the power of your word. You are our provider. And so if you are here today and there's some areas of provision in your life that you feel like you're lacking in, bring those to the Lord right now, knowing that he is a good father. Jesus says a good father gives good gifts to their children. He might not always give you what you want, but he'll always give you what you need. So bring those requests to him now. Just let me give you a little space to come to him as Jaira, your provider. Father, we need you in our lives. We need you every moment. Uh, the people in Morocco need you right now as well from uh, this devastating earthquake that's taken the, the lives of many and caused all kinds of chaos, confusion, and grief and despair. They need to know you as Jaira the provider. Think about how Morocco is... Um, a country in that 1040 window of people who have never heard the gospel, many who don't even know the name Jesus. Maybe they're going to false places for hope and help today. Even today, Lord, use the local church, even the hidden churches. Use online resources, connections here to the states and other places, Lord that they might come to know Jaira as the provider when things in this world crumble. And so, Lord, provide for them, not only physically, but emotionally and ultimately spiritually. Lord, provide for us today. Provide us through the provision of your word. You call your word like it's the bread of, of life. It sustains us. And so, Lord, help us to be fed today. Speak to us because we sat under the teaching of the word today. Uh, speak with our students today who are um, hearing a challenge in their life today about the purpose of their life and how they were designed that today you might do a work in their hearts as they hear the word. So work in and through me today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we get started, let me ask you a question. Did you know that in May of this year that the Surgeon General issued an advisory 
alerting Americans of a health crisis that is plaguing our country. This is a health crisis that causes a 29% increased risk of heart disease, a 32% increased risk of stroke, 50% increased risk of developing dementia, and 60% increase in premature death. That's serious. In fact, prolonged exposure to this health risk puts you at the same risk of obesity and smoking nearly a pack of cigarettes a day. This has been linked to mental health problems like depression, anxiety, and suicide. You say, oh my goodness, I mean, this is really important. What is it? Is it like another pandemic coming? I mean, what is going on? It's not quite a pandemic, at least not in the way we think about it. It is the pandemic of isolation and loneliness. Loneliness has been called by some sociologists the great pathology of our day. Now, we might think, well, this is because of the pandemic. You know, everybody's boarded up in their houses and isolated from one another, but this just exacerbated an already existing problem. You might have heard of Robert Putnam. He wrote about 20 years ago a landmark book of research on this problem of increased isolation and disconnectedness in a book called Bowling Alone. And he's done more additional research over the last 10 years. He said Americans have gone from an average of 3.2 friends down to 1.8 friends in just a decade. That's a 40% drop in friendships in a decade. Of course, America isn't the only country facing this crisis. A lot of developed nations, um, technologically advanced nations, are also dealing with the same thing. And a possible harbinger of what might come to America, in South Korea this year, they issued an, an initiative that pays reclusive youths aged 9 to 24 a monthly allowance, get this, of $500 to leave their house and go into public society. Some of you are like, man, sign me up for that. <laughs> we, through technology, can be entertained and educated. We can even watch church. We want to welcome those who are watching online today. We can order takeout, groceries, anything we want from Amazon without ever having to connect to a real person. And I imagine that's going to become more and more likely with AI coming online. Now, I don't think this is just an issue of technology. Certainly that is part of the blame. Uh, researchers point to other things like the breakdown of neighborhood, neighboring and neighborhood bonds. You know, for example, we used to have front porches uh, like Hayes talked about. Uh, most people don't have a front porch anymore. We have what? We have back private decks, isolating our, ourselves from other people. Certainly the last 30 years, we've seen significant decline in religious, social, and civic engagement in society. Less and less people joining churches, less and less people joining clubs and other things like that. There's a lot of things that you could point to as reasons why, but I think the undercurrent that's for me, an increasingly disturbing reality is the cultural undercurrent of hyper-extreme individualism and self-sufficiency that I think has led more and more people, especially, by the way, younger generations, 
to not have deep connectedness and friendships and avoiding community altogether and be totally fine with it. In a popular uh, thread online with thousands of responses, there was a, a, a question, a thread that was started that simply says this, I don't have friends, I don't need friends, I don't feel lonely, am I all right? This is the thread. Tons and tons of responses. Now you would probably assume that the overwhelming majority of those responses would be this, no, you're not all right. You need to discover what's going on, what's wrong, and get some help. That is not what people are saying. In fact, the overwhelming response was positive. In fact, cheering this on as some kind of pinnacle of emotional achievement. I'll just share with you a couple of responses. One response from someone who claims to have a degree in psychology. Believe me, if you don't feel lonely and left out in the world for not having friends, in fact, if you have your own happy space, independence from others' presence, this is the best thing. End of quote. Or how about this one? Trust me. Try to live your life as alone as you can. Friends will either abandon or leave you to move on with their own lives. And what's even worse is that if you develop romantic feelings, that's going to add extra pain. Getting attached to people is a bad idea because then they will inevitably get ripped away and you'll feel part of you has gone with them. You're on the right track. Just try and stay with that mindset. And these are not isolated. This is, this is kind of the, the summary of hundreds and hundreds of posts just like this. Now, I would guess in a room this big that there's some of us that actually can probably relate to the sentiments of this person on line. You might have a similar perspective on friendships and relationships. Maybe you avoid relationships because relationships have just been kind of hard for you. You always feel like the square peg in the round hole. Feel like you don't quite fit in with others. Or maybe you're just very introverted. And so the idea of going out and forging new friendships is like anxiety and fear that comes over you. I recognize a long time ago, most people are not like me. I'll come into a room this big and I'll try to get to know every single person by the time I leave. Some people are like, kill me now. <laughs> so for some of us, it can be very difficult. For some of us, maybe like that person who I read their posts, have been burned in relationships. And it's been hard for you and you don't want to open yourself to be exposed for that to happen again. So it's just easy, easier for you to keep people at a nice social distance. Others of us, man, we just are really busy grinding at life. We're really busy at our work. We're really busy raising kids. We're really busy at extracurricular activity. I mean, who really has time to develop friendships? And so you might fit in one of these categories. Statistically, men, especially when they hit middle age, tend to have fewer and fewer friendships. So what do you think? Is it worth taking the risk of friendships? I believe a lot of people settle for unsatisfactory levels of friendships for a variety of reasons and have determined, you know what, I'm never going to take the risk. It's, not, it's just not worth it to do it even though maybe they long for something more if they're honest with themselves. 
But the reason why almost every September, if you're paying attention, we talk about relationships, we talk about friendships and community is because we believe this in our very fiber, in our values. We believe in friendship. One of our values is meaningful membership and community. We believe that God built us this way. And in fact, you will stagnate in your relational progress with God if you don't link up in relationship. It's this important. And so it's why we want to do messages, little mini-series like this and next week, where we talk about friendships. And this week, particularly, we want to simply tell you to don't go it alone. In this series that we're calling You Got a Friend. Now, we believe in community here so deeply that we believe it's worth the risks. And so this week, we're going to talk about... um, why not to go alone? We're going to talk about the origins of friendships. We're also going to talk about the importance of friendships. And let me just say up top, at the end, I want to put a, a challenge out to each of us to take our next relational step, whatever that might be. And we'll talk about some ideas of how to do that. But take a next relational step. For some of us, that might be going deeper in the existing friendships we have. For some of us, it might be taking a step into community here at Brandywine. So let's talk about the origin of friendship first. You know, most people think that the Bible is really just a a book, an old dusty book uh, with old guys and big beards and sandals, you know. It's, uh, It's a book of religion and rules. But actually, the Bible has a ton to say about friendship. I would even argue that the Bible is mostly about relationships. Did you know that? From the very beginning, the first and foremost, it is about our relationship with God. And then secondly, it is about our relationship with one another. This is why Jesus, remember when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He gave them two. Do you remember what they were? Love God and love one another. Yeah, relational commands. Jesus, in his last prayer with his disciples in John 17, he prayed, Father, may they Be one as we are one. You and I and I and you and they in us. Wow, what a powerful idea. In other words, one of the primary goals Jesus had in his death and his resurrection was to create a diverse community of friends that in some ways resembles the very trinity of God himself. What a powerful idea. Say, well, what does that mean? Well, the doctrine of the Trinity, that God exists eternally as one, and yet in three distinct persons, is very, by very nature, God is a relational God who exists eternally in a community of friends. It's what the symbol of the Trinity really tries to grasp, this idea of the oneness and, that the, and yet the interconnected individuality within the Trinity, within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One of the distinctions of Christianity is that we have a relational God who has been dwelling in perfect friendship for all of eternity, which, which sets him up as unique from every other God and the pantheon of gods. Because God did not create humanity because he was lonely. He did not create humanity because he needed us, but rather because he wanted to share in his love and relationship for one another and with God for all 
of eternity. We are literally built for this. So when we experience friendship, this is what we're saying. When you experience friendship, you begin to experience just a shadow of God himself. You are never more like God than when you are in loving relationships. And the reverse is also true. When you are disconnected from meaningful relationship, when you're isolated, you are never more unlike God because he created us for it. Remember the first time in Scripture, in Genesis, when God says something is not good, what is it about? Genesis 2.18, God looks at man and he says, you need somebody. It's not good for you to be alone. And he created someone to help him, to be with him and share his life with him. One of the primary goals of Jesus' work on the cross is to restore what Genesis 3, the fall, the fracturing of relationships with God and one another, the gospel restores that relationship with God and with each other. Ephesians 2.13 says it like this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Verse 16, and in one body to reconcile them both, to, to be on friendly terms through God, to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Friendships are what we are created for, and it is, ultimate, is our ultimate destiny forever for all those who enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I hope that's you today. So that's the origins. That's like a quick version of that because we want to spend the rest of our time talking about the importance of friendships and kind of get real practical. I'm going to bump into this five other times, so I'm going to do that. Let's talk real practically about how to anchor um, ourselves into friendships. We're going to look at Proverbs, a variety of Proverbs, because it says a lot about friendships in the book of Proverbs. So three reasons to pursue friendship. Number one, because friends form us. They form us. Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with the wise becomes what? Say it with me. Wise. But the friend of fools suffers harm. We see in this verse the power of friendship. Friendships are powerful, both for good and bad. It cuts both ways, doesn't it? You walk with the wise, you become more like them. You, know, you surround yourself with people that are smarter than you, wiser than you, kinder than you, more positive than you, have a deeper prayer life than you. Guess what? That rubs off on you. It's like positive osmosis. God built it that way. And the reverse is true. You're around some fools. Guess what happens? When their life explodes, you get hit with the shrapnel. So God built it to be. Sociologists tell us that relationships have like a contagious effect on us, like a yawn. Like when somebody yawns, you yawn. Somebody laughs, you tend to laugh. Same kind of thing with friendships. Now, we all know this is true, right? Because mama has been telling us this our entire life. If you're a mom, you probably say this to your kids quite a bit, don't you? Even though we often try to deny that it's true, that we're becoming like our company. And so let me just say a word to students. I know most of them are not here right now, but send the message to them. But also to parents, if you're a parent or you're an influencer of the next generation, to just say this, the most formative thing about your kids is the community that they are in. 
most formative thing is the community that they're in. And it's why we really go all in in our children's ministry and our students' ministry to make it a relational environment where they're hooked up with other peers and with mentors that are walking with them through each stage of their life. So, uh, research tells us that, that kids who have a thriving, resilient faith, lifelong faith, typically have a five-to-one ratio of Christian influencers in their life. How's that for a great statistic to think about? Five-to-one ratio. That's what we're about. That, that kind of life-on-life relational discipleship for their whole life. And so if you want to know who your kids are going to become, look at their friend group. Often the time, that's the case. Look at their friend group. Look at their social media circle. Look at who they game with. Do you know who these people are? Let me just say, if your kids are playing five sports and spending lots of hours on social media and, and gaming and the rest of their time in public school and they're not really connected meaningfully in relationships here at the church, and then if they grow up and they want nothing to do with God and you're like, I, I, didn't, I didn't raise them this way. Let me just say lovingly, you kind of did. You kind of did. Because you didn't mind the things that are important, the relational influence may have not taught them that way, but you allowed the most formative influences in their lives to potentially be foolish. You might say, well, does that mean that you think that we shouldn't have friends? We shouldn't be friends with people that don't share our faith or go, go to our church? I mean, shouldn't we be a light to the, teach our kids to be lights in the, in, the, in the public schools or in public places? Absolutely. I'm not saying that at all. What I would say practically just a little advice here. At least try for a two-to-one ratio. Two godly good influence for everyone that maybe doesn't share your same belief system or moral foundation. We become the people that we are around. This was certainly true for me. I didn't really have Christian friends growing up. And I can tell you my life was indistinguishable from my non-Christian friends who didn't grow up with the same beliefs that I grew up with in my home. And I can also tell you the reverse is true. When I started developing friendships with other Christians at age 17, it began to transform my life. When I met uh, my now wife at, at uh, 18, when I met Pastor Todd, a lifelong friend, at 18, when I met Jim Supp at 24, Dave Young at 27, Will Pavone at 30, and the list goes on. It's these people in my life who I would say confidently that God's sovereign hand formed me most prominently through these relationships over my life. And I bet you the same is true for you. Pursue those relationships. Walk with the wise, grow wise, make friends of fools. You will become one too. That's the principle. And it's not just for youth. It's for us as well. It's for adults as well. You know anyone who started hanging around cynical, angry, keyboard, keyboard warrior people. And what happened to them? They became cynical, angry, keyboard warrior kind of people. It rubs off on us. You know any adults that started partying and uh, hanging around with party people and became partiers? It wears off on us. So the same thing is true for our spiritual progress. Link up with some people who are more biblically informed than you, who have more joy in their life, who know how to handle hardships 
when they come. Develop those relationships. And let me just tell you here, I think we have an embarrassment of riches in that. We have lots of people that are wise and have gone through hard things and came out the other side better than they went into it. Link up with them cross-generationally, and we'll talk about some ways that you can do that at the end. So that's the first point. It's the longest point. Friends form us. Secondly, friends reveal our blind spots, don't they? Friends reveal our blind spots. Proverbs 27, verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the enemy multiplies kisses, or kisses of an enemy are deceitful. In other words, friends tell us hard truth that we can't see, or frankly, sometimes we don't want to see, right? That's true friendship. One of the ways we can tell a real friend from an acquaintance or a fake friend is when they tell us the truth. A real friend will tell you, bro, your breast stinks, here's a mint, A real friend will say, girl, you got your shirt tucked into your underwear. Let me help you out there. Or, hey, you just came out of the bathroom and, you know, you got a trail of toilet paper hanging off your shoe. Let me take care of that for you. This is friendship. If your friends only ever tell you what you want to hear, they're really not your friends. At least they're not your true friends. If you meet their boyfriend and you're, you know, you meet this guy and you're thinking, man, he's kind of a creep. I don't think they're good together. But you say, oh, you guys look so great together. God bless you. You, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you're happy as long as you're happy. It's not true friendship. We need to have people who say to us, listen, can I talk? You have a blind spot and you're about to run your life off a cliff. Can I talk to you about that? In love, of course. Hey, brother, can we have a conversation? Hey, sister, can we talk? And the New Testament says that the church, our relationships should be characterized this way. Hebrews 3.13 says, but exhort one another every day. Every day. It means we need people to tell us the truth every day. That's how deceitful, self-deceived we can be. Exhort one another every day so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So you can get those blinders removed from you. When you're in isolation, when you're avoiding friendships, your blind spots grow unchecked. I often say that isolation is like a green, has like a greenhouse effect on our dysfunctions. You know what a greenhouse does? It, it, it kind of like supercharges plants. That's what happens to our dysfunctions when we're in isolation. Our blind spots grow. One of the saddest things to see, maybe you've seen it. Somebody that reaches 50, 60, or even older, everybody knows their blind spots but them. See, how is that possible? I mean, don't they know that they come across like this? Don't they know this is the reason people avoid them? Why? Because they probably never had a close friend who could say, brother, can we talk? It might be, in fact, the very thing that keeps them from friendships. But the church is wired to help with this because it forces us to be around people that we might not typically be around. We might not choose. I mean, just look around at the people sitting around you. Some weird people, aren't they? (laughs) Think about the people that you're in relationship with, 
I bet you, you probably wouldn't have necessarily chosen them. They're different from you. They come from a different background or a different stage of life. And yet they sharpen you and you sharpen them. The Bible calls us to this kind of community. Do you have people like this in your life who are willing to love you enough to not flatter you, but to stab you in the front instead of the back in love? Oh, it hurts, but it's good. It is good for us. Do you have people who would say a conversation like this? Hey, brother, can we talk? I noticed some edge in your voice as you talk about your wife. Can we talk about that? Maybe it sounds like there might be like some issues going on there. Hey, sister, I've noticed that you've been backing out of a lot of commitments recently or backing out of relationships or small group or church. There's something going on. Can I be, can I pray for you? Or hey, middle-aged brother, I've noticed that you just out of nowhere bought a red Corvette and grew your hair out. Can, can we talk? <laughs> but seriously, this is so important. I'm so thankful I have people like this in my life. My wife, Pastor Todd, our ministry team, some of our deacons, some of my friends outside of church who I know will call me on my stuff. And I've got stuff who will give me trusted wounds instead of flattery. And I want that for you. So find those people in your life. Thirdly and finally, friends, care for us when life falls apart. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times, all times, and a brother is born for times of adversity. In other words, who is in the pit with you when life smacks you in the face and punches you in the gut? And not if, but when that happens. Because we live in a broken world where pits are inevitable. And we have to face down some of our greatest fears. The loss of our job. Tragedy strikes our family. Betrayal. You find yourself sleeping in hospital couches more than your own bed. That dark night of the soul of depression hits you and you didn't see it coming. The specter of death begins knocking at your door. Who is in the pit with you? Who's prepared to be in the pit with you? Ecclesiastes 4.10, uh, same writer Solomon in his companion book of Ecclesiastes says, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. What a sad picture. When that day comes, what you need is not a bunch of Facebook or Instagram friends. You need someone who will just show up with some chicken soup and a hug at your door. You need somebody who will come and take care of your laundry, who will vacuum your carpets. You need someone who will just listen to you lament without judgment. People surrounding you when you're in the pit so that even when you say, this is this is almost unbearable, but at least I'm not alone. And sometimes that's what matters most. C.S. Lewis says this, when you go through pain, it's not theological reasoning you need most. It's the slightest touch of human sympathy. As a pastor, you might imagine that I find myself in hospitals from time to time visiting people. 
And one of the things I try to make a habit of doing is go to the nurse's station and ask, hey, is there anybody uh, on this floor that you know that hasn't had a visitor? Maybe you've been here for a while and, ha- and hasn't had anyone visiting. It breaks my heart how many people is on that list. And I'll typically go visit one or two or more, just pop in. It's amazing what difference it can make just to have the slightest touch of human sympathy. The New Testament says that the church is built for this. Bear one another's burdens. Weep with those who weep. There's 47 one another passages in the New Testament that call us to this. The church, in other words, should be a place where you've got a friend. Now, if you're old enough or if you just enjoy good music, you might recognize that as a song title of a Carole King song. James Taylor also sang it. Let me give you the first stanza. It says this, when you're down and troubled and you need some love and care, nothing, nothing is going right. Close your eyes and think of me and soon I will be there to brighten up even your darkest night. You just call. No, I'm not going to sing. <laughs> tempting, tempting. But this is recorded. You just call out my name. And you know, wherever I am, I'll come running to see you again. Winter, spring, summer, or fall. All you have to do is call and I'll be there. You've got a friend. Do you have relationships like this in your life? Do you have brothers and sisters like this here at Brandywine? That you know when your darkest night comes, you can call them. All of us should be able to answer that question. And the answer can't just be a pastor. Yes, call us. But who else is coming running to meet you in that spot? Friends form us, reveal our blind spots, and care for us when life inevitably falls apart. Now, maybe you're here and you're hard-pressed to say, man, I don't know, Nate. Like, I don't know if I really have these people in my life. What should I do about this? We want to help you take a next relational step here today. And let me say, the first relational step that some of you might need to take is actually a relationship with God. As I said, this is what Jesus came to do. Jesus was called, even by his enemies, as a way to, to mock him, a friend of sinners. Thank God he's a friend of sinners because I'm one and so are you. We're not perfect. He hasn't just come as we sang the song. He didn't just come for people who get lots of trophies. He came for us. He's a friend of sinners. The Bible calls him a sympathetic high priest who was tempted in every way and yet without sin so that he can comfort us in our times of afflictions. What a friend. The Bible says that the only way to have, to be with God in a relationship with him forever is through becoming friends with Jesus. To invite him into a friendship. To simply say, God, I want you in my life. I want to know you and I want to be known by you. I want to invite Jesus into my life to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me to reunite me with God through what you've done for me on the cross 
by dying in my place to make me reconciled with you forever and ever. Friendship with God is possible. In fact, it's offered freely to the entire world and to you today. That might be your first relational next step is to invite him into a relationship with you that lasts forever. Begins to heal, maybe even heal some of those wounds that we talked about in the beginning. But secondly, maybe your relational step, next step is to take a step toward a, a community of some kind. We want to help you to form that relational community here. You already heard Pastor Hayes talk about it, but just to reiterate it, September 17th, that's next Sunday. After the service, we'll host our annual Connect Fair. Come meet some of the small group leaders. Find out about our groups. We have five women's groups, six men's groups, 13 uh, couples groups, 18 support groups available that meet on different days of the week, uh, throughout the week that you can get connected with. And I say support groups because for some of us, we have uh, some real hurts or wounds or, or issues that we need some healing from and we can, might be able to find in those support groups because we might not be quite healthy enough to enter into a small group, um, you know, without that just being the consuming thing in our life. So support group might be a good next step for you. So find out more about those that are available. You already heard Hayes talk about the idea of the front porch, which is a great image. It is essentially a short-term small group where anybody can join in for three months, get sort of a taste of community uh, with Pastor Terry, who's going to be leading that, I'd encourage you uh, to, to join that as well. Our desire is that you take a next step. You've got a friend. Don't go it alone. We want to help. Let me say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, the idea of friendship with you seems maybe, for some of us, so foreign. Seems like, is that even possible? Have friends, be friends with God, the God of the universe. Oh, friends, it's not only possible. It is what we are born for. And if you have a hole in your heart, a relational hole in your heart that no person no program, no initiative has ever been able to fill. Friend, may I suggest to you that that hole was designed to be filled by the God who created you. And he loved you enough not to leave you with that hole, that wound. But he sent Jesus Christ, the God-man, to live a perfect life that you, are, you and I are incapable of living, to die a death he did not deserve in our place and rose with power on that third day from the grave so that we can be reunited with God forever. And not just in the short term, be able to have that hole in our soul filled, but to finally find what we've been looking for in eternity. So I pray if there's anyone here today, maybe that's you, that today would be that day that you commit your life to him. You give him your life. You enter into that relationship. We want to help you to do that. After the service, I encourage you, just come front. Tell somebody. Come down and pray with somebody. Lord, for all of us, whether we've made that commitment before or not, Lord, 
help us. If we're fearful, those that are fearful, may they give, you give them courage today. Those that um, have been burned in the past, that today would be the day that they uh, begin to find healing in relationship, Lord. Help us to strive to be a, a better community. We're not perfect. We're going to let each other down. God, forgive us for that. But today, might you help us to become a better community. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.